Howie, it's your boy, and welcome to episode 55 of the podcast. This is M, which you can subscribe to on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Everywhere you find good podcasts, you'll find this one. Take a minute, rate and review the show, give us five stars, type a couple sentences about why you like the podcast, and if you can think of one person in your life who you think would like the show, send them your favorite episode. The president has coronavirus. Un-fucking- believable we are living in such a strange time where it's like every day something fucking crazy happens and wipes away everything else we've been talking about for the last week i remember i think the columbine shooting was was in like 1999 when that event happened it led the news for a year They had town hall meetings that led every newspaper article. It was the number one story on everyone's mind for an entire fucking year. Now, school shootings happen so frequently, we remember the names of them, but we have no idea about the details, which is fucking crazy. And now, the political news cycle, the world events news cycle is so fucking crazy. It's like, you hear that the president has fucking coronavirus, and you just think, yeah, that sounds about right. Unfucking believable And I think the weirdest part about it, I mean, I think the last news story I saw was that he was actually taken to the hospital. Um, but I was just working last night. Uh, I was working remotely with one of the volunteers um, who works at the organization I work at. I'm training them. And we were in the middle of a lesson, and they stopped me and said, oh, I just got a text from my friend who said that Trump has coronavirus. So I immediately went to Google Searched it, saw his tweet announcing that he and the First Lady have coronavirus and that they were going to begin their quarantine um, um, in the White House and that they were going to get through it together or whatever. And, um, I mean, I was kind of, I, I was blown away. One, I, you know, I'm not one of these people who's like super happy that the president got coronavirus. I mean, I, I get it. Karmic retribution. Um, and there's a you know for someone who's been downplaying the uh, effects of the of, of the pandemic and downplaying um, the risk that people faced, um, it does feel like there's some karmic justice with him getting it. Um, and look, would I love for this to take him out of office? Absolutely. But I I am a little taken back when I you know you go on Facebook and automatically you just see at least on my timeline <laughs> the outpouring of people who are just practically. Uh, I don't know. They're celebrating. They're celebrating the fact that he has coronavirus and they're like hoping he dies. Um, I don't know. I've seen this type of response. You know, I remember when George Bush was in office and we talked about him like he was the fucking antichrist. I mean, I don't know. It's strange. You know, I, I understand hating a person and I don't mean to dismiss all the horrible things that somebody does. And there's no doubt that President Trump has had a, uh, I mean, he's the worst president in history. Right. I mean, I've talked about this with a number of people. We used to talk about George Bush as if he was a fucking bumbling idiot. He, people talked about George Bush like he walked around with a fucking propeller beanie on his head. And Trump is exponentially worse than George Bush could ever dream to be. I mean, I was listening to, uh, you know, YouTube presents videos to you that you, you'll think you'll like. And I've never really been a Howard Stern fan. But for some reason, YouTube presented this video to me, which was Hillary Clinton on the Howard Stern Show. And for, at first, it seemed really incongruous. I was like, what the fuck is Hillary Clinton doing on the Howard Stern Show? Uh, and it was the full episode. And I watched the first part of it. I didn't watch the second part. 
Um, but I didn't realize that Howard Stern was such a huge Hillary Clinton supporter when she was running for president. But Hillary Clinton's on the show, and she's really just been reflecting on her experience since Trump's win. And uh, one thing I wasn't aware of was that she was actually present at his inauguration as the first lady to Bill Clinton. So uh, I guess I never really thought about it, but I guess it's uh, common practice for the uh, past presidents or something, the living presidents to show up for the inauguration of the next president or something like that. Although I don't know, was Barack Obama at Trump's inauguration? I don't know about that. Uh, but the point is, is that Hillary Clinton was standing next to George Bush when Trump was giving his inaugural speech. And when it was over, George Bush just turns to Hillary Clinton and says, well, that was some weird shit. <laughs> and you just think, here's this person who was fucking reviled when he was in office, just looking at Donald Trump like he's a fucking dumbass. Um, but I guess what I'm saying is I'm, I'm a little surprised myself with the number of people who just like hope he dies. Um... I would uh, I would not regret if his death took him out of office, right? Like anything to sort of get him out, um, you know. And I'm not saying that Pence uh, would be a phenomenal replacement, but uh, it's certainly not Trump. And I guess actually, if Mike Pence were to get, how does this work exactly? If Mike Pence gets coronavirus and is out, I think that means like does is Nancy Pelosi the acting president or something like that? But anyway, all I'm trying to say is what a strange turn of events and. It's just insane now that we open the news every day and it's like something fucking insane that would have led the news cycle for a year is there. And it's just, it seems inevitable at this point. You know, it's a global pandemic. It's Trump in office. It's uh, the entire state of California is burning. Um, uh, It's George Floyd. It's racial tension. It's protests. And now the president fucking caught coronavirus. So... Who knows what's going to happen? Uh, like I said, I think the last news I saw was that he was taken to the hospital. I'm not sure if he's just going to be sequestered there or if for some reason his health condition uh, is worsening. I, I, I really don't know. But it's hard when something like this happens and you do the, a weekly thing where you have to stick a microphone in your face and talk and you feel this pressure to have some sort of hot take on the issue or some perspective. But... um I don't know. I'm surprised that even this hasn't affected me a great deal. You know, I just feel so overwhelmed with everything that's going on. I feel... I don't know. I feel oversaturated and kind of... Like, I'm I'm overstimulated. I'm oversaturated. And so these things happen, and I think I've, you know, for better or worse, I've kind of reconciled myself to just kind of, like, hang back for a while and just see how things play out. You know, and I've tried to do my part in terms of filling out these little these letters for the Vote Forward campaign that I've talked about in the last few episodes, um, which I think we're making good progress on. I think we're about to finish about 200 letters, and maybe we'll do 100 more before the, before the mail date. But it's like, outside of that, I really just don't know how to engage anymore. You know, I really feel like my plate is full, you know, whether it's the news or things that are going on in world events or working and going to school. I just... Um, I don't know. Maybe it's a convenience, but I just don't feel like I have the capacity for much else. <sighs> um, yeah, I was dealing with some car trouble this week. Uh, took my truck into the shop. And uh, I think I was talking about this in terms of moving. When my girlfriend moved out of her apartment and I was saying you feel super emasculated when, you're, um, you know, when your girlfriend's hired movers and you're sort of standing in the kitchen when your arms fall 
arms folded while these guys are walking up four flights of stairs to to grab the bed frame and and to to take the kitchen table over their shoulders and just sort of march it down the stairs uh and you're just sort of standing there like going uh I'm not really sure what to do with myself. I feel the same way when I go to the mechanic. When you take your car, I, you know, you always have to, everyone has to have a place where they, they take their car and they feel safe, where they feel like they can trust the people. And it's not like I feel like I'm being lied to with this place, but it's like, I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. They're talking about the uh, intake manifold and the, and the fucking, uh, some, some kind of sensor and uh, the PCV valve or some bullshit. And I'm just like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh, but I just hear, like, Peanuts. You know, I hear, like, the parents from the fucking uh, Snoopy or the Peanuts cartoons. I just hear that, wah-wah, wah-wah, wah-wah. You know, really, it'd be much easier if you just said, uh, just how much is it going to cost? And they say, yeah, we know what it is. It's going to cost $500. And you either say yay or nay. There's no sense in really trying to explain it to me because I have no idea what you're talking about. That's how you take advantage of people, I guess. I did have a, you know, I was driving down the street recently and I did pass this old auto mechanic store that I had gone to one time uh, years ago. My, I think my car was like smashed in. Actually, maybe it was the, I had the catalytic converter stolen. I actually, I can't remember why my truck was taken into the shop, but I had to drop it off for some kind of fix. And the guy who worked there, his place was a fucking dump and he just talked to everybody like they were bothering him. You know, and you could tell, you could totally tell the guy was totally overworked. He hated his job. He was miserable. Um, and you just think like, what are you doing? You just, you could just feel that every day was a fucking nightmare for this person. And yet they just sort of persisted and made everybody who ever came into contact with them miserable. Also, I was driving by it the other day and it looked just completely trash. Like the, 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 the entire area that you used to like pull your car in was just filled with like scrap metal. It makes me think the guy finally tossed, tossed in the towel and gave up. <sighs> But yeah, I navigated some car trouble. Uh, I'm beginning my application process for school. Um, this is a weird thing to talk about, but it's something I'm noticing happening, and, and um, I don't know what it says about me. But um, basically, when you go to a community college in California, there some of the UCs, the university system, um, not all of them, but some of them, you can apply in such a way that if you meet certain requirements, you're basically guaranteed admission into that school. Um, and at the beginning of this week, there was a deadline for, it's called a transfer application guarantee, and so, or TAG for short. And um, the TAG deadline was Tuesday uh, at midnight. And so I had spent the first few days of this week, you know, kind of rushing around trying to finalize my application. And it meant uh, scheduling two different appointments with a, um, uh, with a transfer counselor, doing a, a review uh, sitting with someone online over like a Zoom session while they looked at my um, application. It, it meant calling, you know, two of my past educational institutions to try to get some of my, my bad grades uh, removed from my transcript effectively. Um, and uh, part of my job cycle now, one of the th- one of my responsibilities is I'm having to interview people who want to volunteer at our agency. And, uh, you know, something came up where I really had to meet with this transfer counselor again. I had to, you know, cancel my morning appointment um, uh, interview that I was going to facilitate. And I hit submit on the application. And one hour later, they announced that they're extending the deadline by two weeks. 
And I don't know why this bothers me, you know, because the justification, the just, the justification that they're giving is everything that's going on in the world, right? The entire state's on fire. There's a global pandemic and you know, I, I sh- it should be okay with me. But for some reason, for someone like me, like, you know, I'm over here working hard trying to make the deadline. I meet it and then it gets extended. I don't know. It fucking irritates me. And I've noticed this in my classwork also. Um, I have to be fair on both sides and say, I, I, you know, basically none of my teachers are really teaching this semester. My biology teacher is the only one who facilitates a lecture and she's never prepared. She has no idea what we've talked about the last time. She'll begin lecturing on something and we say, oh, we covered this. And she's like, oh, she like fumbles through her notes and starts to go on to the next thing. But it's just, it's, it's, um, it's really a nightmare. And my anthropology and my math teacher are not teaching at all. They basically just unlocked all the material for the semester and you can work through it at your own pace. But there's no lecture. Um, there's no feedback on any of the assignments that I turn in. They're just graded. And, um, and I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know what these people are going through, but, um, you know, but uh, assuming things are going relatively okay, it's a pretty cush. Being a teacher right now for some people is a cush gig, and uh, I've heard the horror stories as well for people who are in like uh, elementary school education. Things are a fucking nightmare. Um, but for some, uh, maybe I'll just put it this way: for some college teacher, things are pretty fucking cush right now. Um, and I gotta be honest with you, I at least in my math class, some, a lot of the communication. I'm taking a st- statistics class. And anyone who's taken statistics will tell you that a lot of what you need to do in the class is just find a proper stats program. You know, either Excel or there's stuff online. We happen to use one called StatCrunch. But you just kind of plug the numbers in and run some systems or run some features of the app or the software, and it'll basically spit the answer out for you. And yet for every assignment that we have in this math class, the deadline just keeps getting extended. And... There's a part of me that feels like I should just be reconciled. Like, hey, other people... It, like, it has nothing to do with me, right? I happen to meet the deadline, and if they extend it for other people, that's fine. I sh- it should be enough that it's off my plate altogether, right? But for some reason, there's something about that that bothers me, you know? I just think the deadline is the deadline. I was able to meet it. And, I, you know, I don't know. This is where you start sounding like an asshole, because I realize that some people are dealing with much more than I am, right? Um, Yeah, my plate is full, but um, it's full of, you know, good things by comparison. You know, I'm able to work, etc. I'm not dealing with, like, the health of, uh, of family and friends or loved ones or, you know, maybe someone is displaced by the fire. But uh, look, if you're, but my, I guess my thing is if you're really displaced by the fire, you know, you can extend the math test a week. It's not going to solve your problem, Right. Um, that person has probably exited the semester. Um, and the truth is, you know, I was talking, I was talking about this with my brother and he was trying to help me be a little more rational. And he was saying, well, you know, most of the students are much younger than you, right? So they, they, you know, they're, they're kind of navigating school the way that I navigated it when I was their age, which was not very well. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. There's something about that that bothers me. And, uh, I think... I sit with it because it, it makes me feel like like I'm not sure if I'm not being compassionate enough or I don't know. I go through most of my life now and I just I feel like such a scrooge all the time and I guess I'm I guess I'm just wondering what what happened to me, you know. Um even at work, you know, I, I'm really uh 
I don't know. I like structure. I like accountability. And I can only speak from my own experience, but most of the people who are telling me that they're at capacity or they're dealing with issues, these are people who I, even in relatively good times, I have felt kind of fell short of what was expected of them. And so now that they're trying to articulate to me that things are more difficult for them, I I don't know. It just seems part and parcel of how I've experienced them up till now anyway. You know, they've always, it's, it's one thing if it comes from somebody who works hard otherwise and is normally attentive and, and, uh, shows up on time and does what's expected of them and, and, and is a good worker. Um, those are not the people I'm hearing from. And I know that some of those people are holding some pretty heavy things in their life. Um, and yet they seem to find a way to make things work relatively well. Um, they're not the ones who are asking for all sorts of concessions. It's the people who I find are falling short anyway are asking for all sorts of concessions. And it just feels like you're being, I, for me, it just feels like I'm being fucked with a lot. You know, I, I couldn't imagine, you know, some teachers, and I kind of respect them, they're, they're kind of no nonsense. You know, they're kind of like, these are the assignments, this is when they're due. If, for whatever reason, you've decided you can't fulfill this commitment that you've made, personal or, or otherwise, that's okay. You can exit the semester, um, uh, you know, and do it at a time that works for you. That doesn't feel totally draconian to me. You know, that's not exactly the code of Hammurabi, right? That's a pretty reasonable ask of people. Um, and yeah, is it a bummer if, if life happens and you have to exit the semester and take it at another, at another time? Sure. Um, but I just, I also know, um, as someone who's uh, doing some other facilitating, um, there's this thing that people do. You can tell me if you experience this, but my brain's going in two directions. And they only feel tenuously connected here. But I have this thing now. Me and my girlfriend have talked about this. When I go into a store, it could be a Walgreens, it could be a Best Buy, any type of customer service situation where I, I'm so, I've sort of tried to, or, um, I've tried to find something on my own in the store. If I go up to a staff person and say, "Hey, do you have this thing?" Whether or not they, if they say no, I'm still pretty confident there's a fifty-fifty chance they actually do have this thing, and this person just doesn't know what they're talking about. I, I encounter this all the time. Someone will say they don't have something. I go and look a little bit more and I find it. Um, uh, and how this connects to what I was talking about, I don't know exactly, except to say one thing I've encountered, and I think students do this, is when somebody, I've noticed it at work where I'm in a semi-leadership position, when people run into an obstacle, instead of solving the issue themselves, what a lot of people do is contact the person who's above them, right? Their immediate supervisor and ask them for the solution. And I think what's motivating that is I think in their mind, they've, they've sort of checked a box, like they've done something about it. They've hit an obstacle. And instead of spending the time to solve it and figure it out for themselves, they've dedicated that time to writing you an email, asking for your support. And for them, that they've kind of done what they can. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, you could have just spent that time that you were emailing me Googling the solution. So, you know, for me, this comes up in math class. One of the reasons that our math assignments are being extended is because 
people are at least articulating to the teacher that they don't understand how to use the StatCrunch software. And that's fine, except no one's guiding me through the curriculum either. I'm like everybody else. The material's been made available. I work through it at a pace that's reasonable for me. And I'm not a smart guy when it comes to stats, and yet I can just work through the homework, and you can work through it relatively quickly. And StatCrunch is not a difficult piece of software to use. You literally have an option in the homework that says, open in StatCrunch, and you do. You navigate a couple menus, and it gives you the answer. You know, it's just weird when people are framing something that you've already walked through very simply as if it's some kind of a Rubik's Cube of a of a problem they just can't summon the, uh, you know, the wherewithal to solve. And you're thinking this is literally a Google search away. You know, you can literally Google something and I'm saying literally a lot. I'm not supposed to be saying literally anymore, but you can literally Google something like a five number summary in StatCrunch and it's a minute and a half video walking you through the entire thing. And bada bing, bada boom, solution. And by the way, not only have you found the solution, you now get to move on with your life, right? Because if you're just sitting there waiting for me to explain it to you, you've just kicked the can down the road, right? And so as I'm talking about this, I think, why the fuck do people listen to this podcast? Who the fuck wants to hear about me talking about stat crunch, right? I am I, fully aware that these details don't fucking matter to anybody, but I'm trying to identify something I experience in my life and as someone who tries to be self-reflective and kind of look at other people and judge, huh, what are other people doing and why does that bother me? And what am I trying to avoid that I, I'm seeing that person surrender to that feels, oh, I don't know, uh, uh, like the antithesis of what I'm trying to accomplish in my life, which is maybe it has something to do with self-sufficiency. I don't know. But you know, we hit problems in life, and it could be anything. For me, I, it was some financial stuff I've had to do recently that I just sort of had to educate myself about it. Um, um, it could be something tech, technology-related, right, as we're all adjusting to this, uh, I don't know, this new normal or whatever we're calling it. But, um, you know, I guess I'm just disappointed how many adults demonstrate this character trait also. You know, a solution is out there, and... I don't think it's too big a ask to accept uh, um, uh, request that people find it, right? And yet so many people are so quick to just kind of ask somebody else for help. And maybe, I don't know, this is where I get to, uh, maybe I'm speculating too much, but maybe it has something to do with like, we're in this like Google slash Siri world, right? Where when we're when we have a question, we're so used to just googling it. Ironically, I don't know why these people aren't just doing that, right? But it seems maybe there's some kind of correlation between we're so used to just kind of punching in question and receiving answer very quickly that we don't. Maybe I don't know. Maybe that resource muscle is a little weaker than it should be for a lot of us right now, right? Instead of being proactive and finding the solution for ourselves, we just want someone to tell us the answer. But as I think about it, I'm trying to hone in more specifically on this idea of, you know, someone has identified an issue. Let's say it's, uh, um, I'm trying to think of something more concrete than solving a stat crunch solution, but, but, you know, it is what it is. Let's say you're wanting to solve, you're wanting to figure out how to accomplish something in a piece of software and you can't figure out how to do it. 
let's let's just say very clearly that that's what you're stating that you're trying to accomplish. I'm trying to accomplish X, which is how to how to do something in a piece of software. That's your goal. And you've emailed me to tell you the answer. What box in terms of progressing toward that goal do you get to check? Because as far as I'm concerned, none. But it's like if you were just to sit on your hands at that point and not complete your assignment or not turn the assignment in by the due date, or, you know, does that mean you've done everything you can and I need to extend the due date because of some kind of uh, pedagogical failing in the class, right? Or, um, you know, to sort of, um, I don't know, accommodate some need you have in your life? Or is it reasonable for me to expect that you figure it out? Okay, if you if you reach out to me because you can't understand the StatCrunch software, shouldn't you have the wherewithal to figure it out? And if you don't hear from me, shouldn't you be finding other solutions for yourself? You know, and how am I supposed to feel when other people are doing it? Right? It's not just me. You know, I'm not the fucking lone hero of the class. There's plenty of us who are turning assignments in on time. You know, what are we doing that other people aren't doing? I'm sure for some of us, it is that we're, we're simply not dealing with it as much, right? But I'd be lying if I say that that's how I experience most people, you know? Um, and I think this is the part where I feel like a Scrooge or a pessimist, but I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm disappointed in myself to see how frequently I'm disappointed with other people. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, but I think the problem is, why does it bother me? You know, why can't I just be happy with the fact that, oh, well, clearly I have this skill set, if you want to call it that. I don't think it should be. I think it's just kind of the bare minimum, frankly. But why can't I just be satisfied that I have a skill set that allows me to solve problems that other people sort of are willing to let be an impediment? And I don't know. You know, in some ways, I feel like the smart or the, you know, the Jedi perspective would be, hey, look, you have this skill set that makes you more valuable on the job market or whatever. You're the type of person who someone would want to employ because you're independent, right? Or you can solve problems for yourself. Um, yeah, why do I fixate on other people? You know, why is it so important for me that people demonstrate what I want for them? It's important to think about. I mean, obviously, it's a certain type of hard-headedness, but I guess I just try to tease out if that's... Is what I'm asking or wanting for people reasonable? You know, on other episodes, we've talked about this idea, like, all the time, are people simply doing the best they can? You know, and if someone's not doing something, they may not have the capacity for it. Excuse me. They may not have the capacity for it. And I don't know. There's a part of me that, you know, there's been some communications or interactions I've had where that feels helpful to understand, right? Like, hey, people are doing their best. You got to meet people where they're at. That's something you hear you hear said a lot. And maybe seven out of 10 times I agree with that. But what about challenging someone? What about holding someone accountable? You know, what about asking someone to sort of dig, dig into themselves and do better? Because it's not, it's not some Herculean task. 
we're asking people to do in general. We're asking them to fulfill their commitments. You know, I've had challenging teachers. I don't know that I've ever really had a, a teacher who was wholly unreasonable, you know? I mean, we were talking about my past chemistry teachers who were pretty hard. These guys were fucking hard asses, right? Um, and their approach to the class was, this is the material. It's your job to learn it. You know, and that's, you're either going to learn it and you'll get an A in the class if you can demonstrate that, or you're going to struggle with it a little bit and you'll get a C, but you're going to get whatever grade you earn. Right. Um, and I'm not necessarily going to hold your hand through the process. That doesn't, that doesn't sound awful to me. I mean, it's one way to do things. You may be a teacher and think that that's not really teaching. Um, but I don't think it's wholly unreasonable. Maybe that's just me. You know, maybe I, I'm uh, too easy to, you know, I say I look at, uh, you know, I sort of deputize people in my life, whether it's a teacher or whatever, to kind of tell me who I'm supposed to be, right? And if I happen to have a hard-headed teacher, I just decide, oh, well, I guess I just got to fucking live up to this person's standard, rather than saying, hey, man, that's fucked up. You should teach me. I mean, when I talk about my, when I talk about my current teachers now with my girlfriend, she gets fucking pissed on my behalf. You know, when I, I mean, look, I'm not happy with my biology teacher either. But when I tell her that my anthropology, is that it? Yeah, my anthropology teacher and my stats teacher have just opened up the semester. There's no lecture. I just do the work myself. I get no feedback on it. She's fucking upset. <clears throat> you know, here I am paying for a college education and I'm teaching myself. Um, I get that. It happens to play to my strengths, though, a little bit. You know, I'm a bit of an autodidact anyway. You know, I like to, um, I like to teach myself anyway. Um, but yeah, maybe it's not teaching. I don't know. Anyway, I don't know. I also talk about these things and I sort of bloviate and go on and on about this stuff, pretending like, uh, I don't know, pretending like I have anything figured out and... I don't know that I do. So, so there you go. <clears throat> I don't know why, but this makes me think of people who say humbled. I guess what I'm thinking is, man, maybe I need to, I need to just be humbled. But it also reminds me of people when really good things happen to them, they describe them as humbling. Like, man, I don't know. I wrote this novel and it was very, very successful. And it just like, it sold millions of copies. And wow, I was just so humbled by the outpouring of support. And you're like, what? Bro, you need a dictionary. That's not what humbled means. Humbled is when you're humbled, when bad things happen to you that make you reevaluate your sense of yourself. Not great things. Because I think they always frame it as if they're trying to, uh, I don't know, I've had this great thing and, and uh, I didn't let it go to my head. Basically, basically what the, when they're saying that it was humbling, they're doing the least humble thing possible, which is to sort of perform, you know, we call it virtue signaling or whatever, but there's another word I'm, uh, I don't know, they're feigning humility, right? They're performing humility. That's not what humility is. Humility is silence. Um, yeah, what is that? Why do people do that? And why, why, do, why do people buy that? Why, does, why has that become such a thing? Oh, it was so humbling. That phenomenally uh, uh, enviable 
celebratory thing that happened to me was humbling. Man, that would fucking go to my head. Damn, if I had that kind of success, I would, my head would be so big I would not be able to fit through fucking doorways. It would not be humbling. It would confirm every uh, self-congratulatory, celebratory thing I've ever thought about myself. That's what success would do for me for a while. And then I would have a humbling experience. Then I would try to do the next thing. And when that failed, that would be humbling. You know, your first novel was a runaway hit. And then you came out with your next one and it was a fucking flop. That's humbling. Anyway, you listen to this podcast. You fucking, you guys agree with me. You listen to this because, why do you listen to this podcast? Why do you listen to this podcast? Huh? Oh, man. That's humbling to think about. Yeah, why should anyone care, man? I don't, I, you know, for me, I just hope there's something interesting about being honest. You know, I don't, I don't think there's anything especially interesting about me in particular. Um, but I don't know. Actually, you know, it's funny how things come up. I mean, I think about this in terms of therapy. It's like, I, I had therapy today. I was literally just talking about this. One of the things I continue to struggle with all the fucking time is feeling like I'm supposed to be talking about something in particular. I feel like I'm supposed to be talking about the right thing. And my therapist says over and over again, whatever comes up is what we're supposed to be talking about. Yada, yada, yada. I've said it here on the podcast a thousand fucking times. <clears throat> and I'll probably say it a thousand more, frankly. But, um, you know, that humbled. Yeah, why did that come up? I don't know. But it leads me to this next idea is, you know, it's um, it means something to me. And there's something about that type of speaking, which I think is ubiquitous now. And, you know, I feel weird. I, you know, I, I don't know what to say about it necessarily, but I, I go through most, most of my life and I'm seeing how we're, you know, communicating with each other. And yeah, it's in a, you know, the spectrum of social media, which is weird and performative sort of, um, you know, by definition, but I'm confused by people. I'm confused by what passes as virtue. I'm confused by what seems to be passing as honesty. Um... I don't know. And I, you know, I really don't believe that I say anything, you know, too controversial on this podcast. I don't really have any hot takes on any issues that are going on. All I can do is kind of speak honestly about my experience. And I'm not pretending that the specifics of my life are that interesting. Um, If anything, I hope they're interesting because they're kind of mundane. But I guess what I'm, I'm trying to say is I hope people see themselves in it. You know, whether or not you're thinking through the exact same issues Um, I think people are maybe thinking through similar issues and, you know, we have this big thing now where we talk about, we need to have an honest dialogue in this country about X. Um, when I feel like that's like the furthest thing we're having most of the time about, about most of the topics that we're sort of talking around. But, um, but I don't know, maybe it's boring, maybe it's mundane, but it's like, (laughs) and maybe that's what makes it bad art. But, um, 
I don't know. There's something, uh, I don't know. This is helpful for me to just sort of talk through these things and talk honestly about them. And, you know, sometimes it's a social critique or sometimes I'm sort of skewering or, 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 um, I don't know, breaking other people down, but I, I'm, I don't know. I feel like I'm just trying to understand. And, um, I guess I just trust that the people who do find this podcast and like it, you know, I hope that that's, uh, meaningful for them. You know, like I said, it, it's, uh, I mean, for some reason, I'm thinking of David Foster Wallace, and uh, I, you know, I'm fully aware that nothing we do on this podcast uh, approaches anything like what David Foster Wallace was able to accomplish with his prose, but one of my takeaways from David Foster Wallace is when you read him, you're literally reading your own thoughts. And you're, of course, you know he's writing about, um, he has a great piece called Shipping Out, which is about him, it's sort of, um, what do you call it, like... Um, observational journalism. I don't know. I'm sure there's a word for it, but he's just describing his experience on a cruise ship, right? And it's not that you have gone through a similar experience, but it's literally the way he writes it is is the way that you think. You know, it's super self... Um, there's a word I always use for this. I can't think of it. It's self-qualifying, I think, is the word I, I think of. It's, uh, it's sort of scattered, and he's really trying to pursue the issue, right? He's trying to think through all the angles. Um... And you're just sort of sitting through his thought process, right? And really the effect, the endearing part of it is you go, oh, I kind of think about things this way. And uh, so I don't fucking know, man. I guess I'm even hoping, like even in my confusion right now, even as I'm talking and I have no idea what the fuck I'm really talking about, I'm just sort of chasing my thoughts. If you're like me, if you happen to sit by yourself and think through things this way, or tossing and turning at night and thinking through things this way, it's not, I don't have the fucking answers, man. I'm just trying to share my thought process, you know? And, um, I don't know, is it crazy to think that like-minded people will find that interesting? You know, maybe entertaining is the wrong word for it, but interesting, consumable, or consumption-worthy, maybe that's it. People will find it subscribe-worthy or consumption-worthy. Because that's all I really want to do is make consumption-worthy content. <clears throat> I do worry I don't have a gimmick, though. I feel like I need an angle. I mean, I'm kind of uh, embarrassed to admit this, but, you know, we're on episode 55 of the podcast here, and, you know, we're going to do 100. But I'm already thinking about maybe at 100 I'll want to start a new podcast. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing about me, but I've never been scared to start over. Right. And as I continue to do this, I'm learning a lot. You know, I think it's I'm I think I'm developing a skill set where I can speak for an hour, which I think is good. And, you know, I, I guess I'm just thinking about the format because I have a buddy uh, who just came out with a record and I was really interested in getting him on the podcast so he could, you know, we could have a thoughtful conversation, which we typically do when we have a chance to speak and maybe even play some songs. But I thought, you know, what does that do to the format of the podcast? Like, on the one hand, I want to try new things, but at the other hand, there's something cool, I think, about just kind of picking your lane and sticking to it. Excuse me. Which is like no guests. You know, does it mean that every episode's going to be great or that uh, it's going to, you know, maybe this podcast just gets monotonous for people after a while? Maybe people can only hang in for like 50 episodes and then they got to do something else, but. Should it just stay what it is? It's a stream of consciousness podcast. It's one person. There's no guests. And you either are in or you're out. 
I don't know. I kind of respect that. And I, you know, yeah, I think even for the first hundred episodes, I think, I think that's what it's got to be. You know, I think it's just got to be this. For better or worse, there will be a lesson to be learned from that, right? Just execute the vision, which was a hundred episodes of a stream of consciousness podcast. Don't bring on guests. Um, I shouldn't be telling you this, but I am filming this now. <laughs> I was going to say, don't try new things. And yet, as I'm saying that, uh, I recorded the last episode with video also. So there is a growing cachet of video which uh, I hope to release at some point because I, I would like to do a video podcast, but maybe, you know, maybe even then I don't, I don't make that available to the public. You know, that's just something I learn in private myself. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I guess what I'm saying is, you know, even as I execute this particular podcast, I guess I still reflect on what's entertaining and why do people like certain things. And I, and I try to observe my own, you know, why do I gravitate towards certain things also? Like, for example, um, uh, you know, most of the podcasts I consume are video podcasts. And so one thing that YouTube has started feeding me and it's fucking, I'm obsessed with it now is Kevin Nealon, the comedian, uh, from Saturday, Saturday night live fame. And, and he's done a, a thousand things, but, um, he has a podcast called hiking with Kevin or some shit like that. And he just goes on a hike with different celebrities around LA. And I fucking love the podcast. He's such an endearing dude. And he's so unassuming. And he's so casual. And he's so funny. And he just kind of goes on these casual walks with all these famous celebrities. And it's just, they have a conversation about their lives and what's going on. And it's just, it's really intriguing. And there's something cool. He just has a selfie stick with an iPhone. I think this is what I love. It's such an easy thing. Right? Like one thing I've loved about this podcast so far is I just set up the mic and start talking. I love that. And I think moving forward, no matter what I do, whether it's a video podcast or whatever, I want it to be easy. You know, I don't want to set up lights. I don't want to fucking set up the camera and focus and all that fucking shit. I just want to press record and go. Um, I mean, I've even thought moving forward, like maybe I should just record the video with Zoom or something like that. But um, because when that is simple, when you get the sort of production out of the way, you can really focus on the content, right? There's something about the Kevin Nealon thing, just a selfie stick with celebrities. That is what draws you in. And they're just going for a hike. There's no production. You see uh, uh, Alec Baldwin's like wearing like a polo shirt on his hike. And by the end of it, he's just completely sweated through it. And you think if this was 40 years ago, there's no fucking way his uh, management or PR would let this see the fucking light of day. Like, Alec Baldwin's hair is all fucked up. He's drenched in sweat. He's sweated through his shirt. But it's like, that's interesting. That's what people want now. You know, people... At least me. Maybe I can't say people. I've told myself I need to stop talking in universals and just sort of be more more specific. But I can, I can speak for myself. Like, I want to be perfect, you know? I want to create perfect things that are beyond reproach. Um... I want to make things that are glorious, but when I look at what I consume, that's not what I consume. You know, the things that I gravitate to, I gravitate toward most are the things that are extemporaneous and sort of off the cuff and low production value. And and I don't know why I can't ingest that lesson fully. Um, the person I was talking about who came out with a record is my buddy, uh, Kevin, AKA field medic just came out with a new record, floral prints. And, it would be cool to get him on the podcast. You know, he's doing well. And and honestly, I think having him on would, would, uh, you know, introduce us to a lot of new, 
listeners, right? Um, but the reason I'm thinking of him also is, you know, he's kind of a lo-fi music guy. And I remember if I had to sort of summarize my relationship with Kevin creatively in like one instance, this is the one that always sticks out for me. I had this period of my life where I was really into instant photography. I had one of those uh, Instax cameras, I think like from, is it from Polaroid or maybe somebody else? I can't, Kodak? I don't know, it doesn't matter. Um, but I would, I have hundreds and hundreds of these Instax, Instax photos. So that was like kind of what I did. I just went around with this camera all the time and, and snap photos with it. Very fucking expensive hobby. But I remember one time it was Kevin, me, and I feel like one other person, we had a mutual friend, um, who was a photographer who invited us out to like, just shoot us. And we were up like near, um, it's called Indian Rock in Berkeley. It's uh, kind of a cool place where people go to smoke a joint or make out or, or have a nice view of the Bay area. Um, but, uh, we were up there and I took a photo of him and it was a really great photo. I think he used it on social media a few times, but it's just like his face kind of like with the blue background <clears throat> and the photo like caught the sun And any time with these insects photos. If you catch like a light source, like a light bulb or the sun, it burns out. It literally turns like a bluish color. And to me, I was looking at it like a blemish. And I remember the photo was so cool, and yet I had caught the sun. So like in the upper right-hand corner or something, there was like this blue, blue-black kind of burn, right? At, at, right at the pin, this pin, uh, the pinpoint of the center of the sun was like burnt or something like that. And I showed him the picture. I said, man, it was almost perfect, man. Well, I love the framing. I love the lighting. And, but there's that fucking damn burn. And he was like, well, so it's there. And I thought, oh, that's, that's how you and I are different. You know, I like things to be slick and clean and perfect. And he's like cool with it just being what it is. And as things have played out, you know, as he's found an audience and as, uh, you know, he's continued to write, I think that was a lesson I really need to, I really need to take that, right? And it doesn't mean that you're careless. It doesn't mean that you, um, you know, don't shoot for the, is it shoot for the stars, catch the moon or whatever the fuck? It doesn't mean you don't pick the high fruit. Right. But you have to be fair with yourself, you know, and I think we're also in a place where people, you know, I think it's a response to we're all feeling so monitored all the time. We feel like every word we're saying is being analyzed. We're held accountable for everything we do. And if we do happen to slip up, we'll be fucking crucified. You know, art is supposed to be freedom. Right. And maybe one of the things that will come to respect more or lionizing our artists are the people who aren't scared to just sort of be imperfect, right? To not use auto-tune, to not airbrush their photos. Um, I think, you know, I don't pretend to know, but I bet if you spoke to, you know, Kevin Field Medic's audience, I bet that's what they would say that they like about him. You know, there's something real about it. There's something tangible. There's something um, physical about it, right? <clears throat> You know, he uh, he creates music videos with like his handheld camcorder and there's just a, there's a tactile quality to his work, right? Everything else feels so computerized, but with him, it's a lot of fabric and textures and there's an analog quality to it. And I, you know, he's recorded a lot of his music on tape or even on cassette tape or whatever. But, um, so there's that, there's the lo-fi quality to it. But it, I think overall it, it's, uh, it may not be something that people who like his music would articulate this way, but I think, um you know, from a craft perspective, right? Or from a creative perspective, I think it's this quality of imper imperfection that people respect. 
Um, you know, and I, it's, it's sort of been a, a practice for me to try to accept that for myself, you know, and my music is never going to sound like field medics, but <clears throat> I think there's still a lesson to be, yeah, I still think there's a lesson there and maybe it sounds stupid to you, but, um, even just letting myself just kind of like set up a mic and talk and not edit it and just let it be what it is, is kind of a risk for someone like me, you know, um, you know, I'm not saying it's Herculean. I'm just saying, you know, it's a challenge. And I think knowing, no, I think knowing that about myself has been helpful too. Cause in some ways I think, I don't want to say it's made me impervious to criticism, meaning, you know, criticism always affects you, but when you're kind of doing something for yourself and you know why you're doing it, it doesn't really matter what other people think about it. You know, because people can want it to be something else, but you just, you know, that, that's not what this is. They don't understand what you're doing and that's fine. They cannot like it. You know, I can't control that, but th- if they want it to be something else, that's sort of on them. Whoa, holy fucking shit, folks. Talk about the pot calling the kettle fucking black. What were we talking about at the beginning of this episode? This is why you got to let whatever the fuck comes up, come up. Holy shit, man. What were we talking about at the beginning of this episode? Your boy was talking about wanting things for other people that they're not demonstrating. And I was saying, yeah, but what about people who are trying to do their best and uh, yada, yada, yada. Yo, we've literally talked our way where I fucking proved that point to myself again. You got to let people be what they want to be. And if you want them to be something else, prepare to be disappointed. Woo! Dude, this is what I've, I've literally told people this before. And I know I said literally, and I'm not supposed to say literally, but I've literally told people this before. If you go through life wanting things from other people that you want for yourself, prepare to be disappointed. Wow. I need to fucking print that out on a lanyard and fucking like wear it around my neck all the time. And when I'm feeling disappointed, I'm just going to look down at it and say, if you go through life wanting for other people what you want for yourself, prepare to be disappointed. Whew. You know that's going to be the title of the fucking episode. Prepare to be disappointed. <laughs> we'll see if anyone clicks on it. That's also the type of thing <clears throat> I was thinking about this in terms of like James Cameron from Titanic. You got to be careful when you title things because you can really give a lot of ammunition to your critics. So, I don't know, I was picturing like a movie like Titanic. If it didn't do well, you know the headlines would have read like, uh, Titanic sinks at the box office, you know, Titanic sinks all over again, Titanic can't buoy itself, you know, all the fucking sea metaphors or whatever the fuck. Prepare to be disappointed. Well, this week's podcast lives up to its name. Fucking people are unoriginal. Come on, you gotta be more creative than that. Man. I gotta be honest with you, man. I started off and I was feeling fucking, I was feeling real fucking, uh, real fucking searchy. Didn't know where the fuck we were going, but it's, uh, God, it's fulfilling when things come around like that. That's why you just gotta let it be what it is, man. You just gotta get in there and do the work and sort of dig around the sandbox and see what you find. If you go into something with too much intention, you're gonna, it's not gonna work, you know? We've talked about it. The Dow, man, Wu Wei. 
No unnecessary action. Just let it happen. Have I talked about the Sengi? I don't know how it came up again uh, with my girlfriend. I was sort of explaining this idea of the Sengi. And it's actually kind of weird because it's something that came up with an ex-partner of mine. But we were in bed one day and we were watching some African animal bullshit Netflix thing, right? Like there's like a National Geographic, a Planet Earth, right? Or the Blue Planet or these like fucking incredible series. But then there's a lot of like B and C level nature documentary shows. Uh, it's probably a lot of B footage from these shows that they just cobble into something else. So it's, I don't know, it's like the great animal kingdom or some bullshit. But this was like creatures in Africa or some bullshit. And they were talking about this uh, little little bit of rodentia called the Sengi. And it's like a little mouse type creature. And the Sengi spends its entire day making these little tracks for itself that it can like run through. It's a fast moving animal, but it spends, it sort of has this intricate system of pathways that it creates for itself and its environment. And it spends most of its day cleaning the tracks. It just goes around kind of brushing and making way for itself so that when it needs to escape a predator or whatever, it just runs down these tracks and it can follow it. And as soon as I I saw that, I thought, oh, that's me. I was like, it, me. That's who I am. I'm the fucking Sengi. And so that was like my ex-girlfriend's like pet name for me for a while. But um, that's how I feel. You got to be the Sengi. You got to have a fucking Sengi strategy, man. Maybe that'll be the title of the podcast. You got to have a fucking Sengi strategy, man. You got to spend most of your time cleaning your path so that when it's time to run, you fucking sprint. It's one thing to just kind of be careless and kind of get in there or whatever. And, and I don't know, maybe you'll find a mess. But it's like, if you go in with some kind of intention, I don't know. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I feel like I'm talking at cross purposes. The only point I'm trying to make is sometimes you do a lot of pre-production and then when it's time for the show, you just got to fucking go and see what happens. And that that's when the magic happens. <clears throat> it's sort of like dating. <clears throat> well, I mean, it's like dating. It's like job interviews. Um, it's just something I've witnessed in other people. I've experienced it myself, but now I feel like the lesson really gets driven home when I see it in other people as I facilitate these interviews. Um, you know, people, you can sense nervousness in people when they have a, you can tell they, or you can speculate that they have a clear sense of how they thought this was going to go or how they wanted it to go. And when they're kind of looking up in the middle of their experience and saying it's not at all like what they thought it was going to be, you can really see it kind of breaking things down. You know, it really can stop them in their tracks sometimes. And we, we've had that on the podcast, you know, I'll be in the middle of a thought and I'll just sort of had this like arrested, Whatever the fuck, I sort of freak out for a second, but, you know, we push through it. And so it's not like a total train wreck for uh, for the folks that I've interviewed or whatever, but um, it's something to be mindful of. You just gotta let it... Excuse me, sorry. Dude, is it just me or am I burping a thousand times more on this podcast than I ever have? I'm just drinking water. What the fuck's going on? <clears throat> um, I don't know, I thought there was a better point in there. Um... Yeah, you got to let it be what it's going to be. You can't have too strong an idea of how you want things to go. And Yeah, I don't know. Is it too simple to say you got to roll with the punches? <clears throat> I think we've talked about it in the context of dating before, right? Like if you th- if you think it's going to go a certain way, it's it's just not. 
you got to be able to roll with the punches. And if it's silent, sometimes you just got to sit in the silence for a second and give them an opportunity to say something, not take full responsibility for the, uh, for the conversation. Right. But if you, it's like, if you think you're just going to execute some kind of choreography, prepare to be disappointed also. I mean, it, um, I think we talked about love on the spectrum briefly. Maybe we didn't, I don't fucking know, but love on the spectrum was this Netflix show that, um, um, everyone was kind of gushing about for a long time, you know, uh, and it's, it really is good. If you haven't seen it and you watch it, I'm sure you're going to like it. It's very endearing. Um, you know, there might be some questions that would be worth talking through with somebody about, I don't want to say the ethical nature of the show, but, um, there's something, I think if we really had to explore what's entertaining about the show, sometimes it is a little bit of comedy and sometimes we're not always laughing with, um, the people, which I think is worth thinking about. But overall, I think it's a very, uh, it's, it's a well-intentioned show. And I think, uh, I think it is consciousness raising. I think it's real value is that a lot of times people with disabilities, we, we sort of unsex them, you know? It's, uh, it actually, the first time I ever really even thought about this was on the Savage Love podcast. Uh, Dan Savage is a sex advice columnist for The Stranger, or uh, I don't know if it's, it's a syndicated column, but I think it originates in The Stranger in Seattle, but um, it's a strictly sex advice column. And I remember him talking about, I think he had a guest who was like a surrogate uh, sex partner, and oftentimes people with disabilities. And he was talking about this idea that you know, we desexualize people with disabilities because we don't, we're, we're not comfortable thinking about them sexually. You know, we don't sexualize them ourselves. So it's much easier for us to negotiate that by assuming that they don't want sex, right? That they don't have sexual desires. And with Love on the Spectrum, I think the value of the show is that it shows like, hey, these people want to date. You know, when we ask these people what they want for themselves, they want boyfriends and girlfriends and partners, you know, and they want someone to make out with and have sex with, you know, um, that I think is the value of the show to, to sort of understand that, you know, people with disabilities want, want relationships. They want meaningful relationships. Um, what I think is interesting about that show is because the people have a sort of developmental disability or they can't read social cues. I'm sure someone could word that a lot better (laughs) than I can, but they have impediment to social interactions, right? And so they're kind of coached up before their date. Well, this is how we say hello. And then this is how we have a conversation. And the time where things get very confusing for them is when they're not inevitably, we can't control for all factors, right? We can't control, uh, for the person we're sitting across, right? So when they inject or introduce something into the situation that we didn't fucking rehearse, things become very confusing very quickly for good reason, right? That person starts feeling overwhelmed. Uh, they hadn't prepared for this and they start to you know, they can implode on themselves sometimes. They can feel overwhelmed. And there's a couple moments on the show where the person, you know, the producer sort of sees what's going on and will ask the person, hey, do you need a break? Which is very thoughtful. You know, they do a good job on that show of kind of breaking, you know, kind of breaking the wall and, and kind of being transparent about production, right? And hearing the producers talk to the uh, um uh, hearing the producers talk to the participants. One, it's just sort of more realistic, but it also, um, I don't know. I think in some ways they kind of wanted to tilt their hand and kind of show people that, you know, hey, we're trying to be as ethical as possible, right? Yeah, we're filming these people, but we're trying to, uh, you know, we're trying to engage with them as as human beings also. We're not trying to exploit them necessarily. Um, but yeah, I think there's something about that show, like all art, maybe 
in some way what I, I, I said I'm trying to accomplish with the podcast. You know, you can watch Love on the Spectrum. You don't have to be someone on the spectrum who's dating to get something out of it. It's because what you're witnessing in that show is relatable to something that you experience in your own life, right? So when we watch, you know, most of us can socialize relatively well. So uh, even though now we may have better dates now than we did as teenagers, we can sort of look at, you know, people who are dating for the first time who happen to be on the spectrum and still say, you know what, I made a lot of the same fucking mistakes and I don't have a disability. At least, uh, uh, at least not that disability. I'll put it that way. And there's some people on that show who are fucking light years ahead of most people who date anyway. You know, some of the people on that show are so thoughtful and so compassionate. And uh, you just think like, wow, what a really good guy. You know, when that person finds someone there, I don't know. It's weird when you think like, oh, uh, I want someone to, you know, I, I would want someone like that for my friends, <laughs> you know, some of my single friends, I would hope that they would find a person like this. Um, but anyway, I don't know. I see we're kind of up against it here. We're kind of at the end of our time and I don't know, maybe the, maybe that's a natural place to stop. Man, very circuitous episode. I know we talked about a lot. We started with the, pre- the president and coronavirus. We talked about car trouble. We talked about people being humbled. I rant and I rave about deadlines and school, and here we are talking about love on the spectrum. And oh man, but that's why we do it. It's cathartic. We uh, we traverse a lot of ground, and uh, we never know where we're going. And yet, everywhere we go, there we are. Ah. Anyway, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, you can on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you already do subscribe, take a minute to rate and review us. Give us five stars. Type a couple sentences about why you like the podcast. And if you can think of one person in your life who think who you think would like it, send them your favorite episode. Otherwise, uh, let's put a pin in this thing here. Uh, and you and I will get together next week, neighbor. Until then, thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. And ciao for now.